We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. This week on the Garage Beers Podcast, it's episode 67. We are going to have our first former U.S. Olympians join us on the show. And this guy is an absolute legend. One of the greatest male swimmers for Team USA. Matt Biondi joins us here on the podcast. He's going to talk about his time with Team USA. Uh, We've got a special announcement, so we want to make sure you know where to go for that and much, much more. So come on up the driveway, pull out your favorite lawn chair, crack open a cold one, and join us for Garage Beer. And welcome on in, everybody, to episode 67 of the Garage Beers podcast. Go find us online at The Garage Beers on Twitter, on Instagram. We're on we're on TikTok. We're on Facebook. We've got a YouTube channel. You can watch all of our interviews on our YouTube channel. Go check that out. Find us everywhere social media happens. Uh, and as always, we are proudly brought to you here on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Go find them at Belly Up Sports, at Belly Up Podcasts. Uh, and check out some of the other shows on there. We always give them a shout out because there's some really good shows on there and some really good people doing really good things on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network and more big things coming. So check out the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. With you as always, I'm your host, Michael Michael Keefe. What's my name? Michael Keefe. I don't know. My name. You can find me online at Garage Beers Mike and joining me on the east side of Cleveland. He's my, my boy over there at Garage Beers Chad. It's Chad Meyer. What's up, Chad? Hi. Hi. Nice. I'm good. I had a good weekend. I had a good holiday weekend. Uh, went up to uh, my buddies uh, in the Toledo area. Uh, he sits on seven acres. He blows it out every year for a big Memorial Day cookout. Uh, I had some garage beers in the garage, which was fantastic. That's the way to do it. Uh, but uh, something interesting, he also... <laughs> he's, the, he's the guy in the group that always comes up with these crazy ideas and like, uh, you know, execute he executes them uh he bought uh, a full on ladder truck like a fire truck with what? a ladder on top of it uh huh for 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 only like 9 grand it was like a 2009 uh and he 2009 what a fire truck <laughs> 2009 i don't know dodge hemi fire truck with a ladder truck i i, I don't know 
but he has it all cleared out, right? Again, he's leaving the ladder functional. He has it all cleared out, and he's going to turn it into a food truck. Oh, that's he, sweet. He, he, yeah, he already has and his, his. He's going to climb the ladder, and he's going to make yeah. it rain food on people below. Yeah, he's going to drop oh, yeah. meat in your mouth from about 45 <laughs> feet or however long that. <laughs> so look for the meat drop by a food truck coming at you. <laughs> Dropping like cold yeah. slices on people's faces. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's raining, raining turkey and pastrami, and it's not. Yeah, he just or he just drops full steaks, just raw steaks, just <laughs> smacking people in the face from What's like in the 50 forecast feet above. today. It's a hundred percent chance of salami. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But uh, so that was cool, though. That was cool. Oh my smoke, God, I so went... look, look for smoke and ladder backyard barbecue. <laughs> oh my God! And, and to a fairgrounds near you. I love <laughs> it. All right. No free no free ads here, Chad. No free ads. Come on, man. Yeah, no free ads. <laughs> All right. And joining us from back down in Nashville, Tennessee, where he arrived just recently. Uh, find him online at Garage Beers Joe. It's Joey Whalen. What's up, Joe? Yo, I got I awful time in my part. I've been working on uh making some pulled pork all day. And <laughs> the, the crock pot just clicked off. So uh I have this wonderful smell of just barbecue wafting through my house, uh, and Ooh. I can't wait for it. Well, you're gonna wait for it. I am gonna wait for it. <laughs> I'm gonna lock. I'm gonna lock myself into the room until this podcast is over because that's how much I love doing this. And then there's gonna be Joe in his underpants on the floor, just forking pulled pork out of a crock pot, straight out of the crock pot. His mouth. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just hair Crying. all spiked, like shirt all disheveled. Like, you have any idea, Maddie, how long I've been waiting for this? Oh, and that's that's why it's going to be like that. I think Joe's by himself this week, so it's just going to be, oh, it's oh, gonna yeah. be chaos. It's going to be a food disaster. Nice. Oh, it is. Yeah, it already is. It already is. <laughs> all right, boys. Well, uh, listen, before we get into our Garage Beers of the Week, which we normally do next, we have got some breaking news. Oh. <gasps> And that breaking news is, it is official, the Garage Beers podcast, officially, the merchandise is available. The Garage Beers podcast has a very awesome t-shirt and a very awesome hat available for purchase at garagebeersshop.com. Just like that, garagebeersshop.com. So literally, all you got to do. The stuff is in my house right now. All you got to do is go to garagebeershop.com, pick out what you want. I have to tell you, the sh- I'm wearing the shirt right now. It is soft. It is comfortable. It's like the high-quality shirt material. It's not It's not a cheapo thing. Uh, uh, the shirts are amazing. We just got the hats over the oh, last weekend. I love the Joe's hats. I wearing the hat right now. The hat's awesome. It's got it like so a... Clean. It, go look at pictures of it. It's got the GH or the GB Garage Beers logo on the front. In an outline of Ohio, and then on the back, show the back, Joe. Show oh, the back. back. Well, the back's got the video's gonna make it anywhere. <laughs> it's, there, it's fine. It's yeah, got the, the back. We bottle. got totally cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the link will also will will probably be uh, posting it everywhere multiple times this week, uh, but it will be in our link tree in all of our bios on all of our social media pages. So if you go to our bio, just click the link at the top, and there will be something that says merch we'll guys i gotta tell you like we're really the three of us are so excited about this just because it's cool stuff and we've had a lot of people ask us about it and and the stuff is exceptional quality and we have to give a shout out to our buddy matt pfeffer 
uh, our other buddy Justin down there at uh, at six one four hockey six one four unlimited. They're going to have two one six hockey coming up. We've been helping them post about that, uh, but uh, they were really really integral as far as getting the stuff designed, getting the stuff worked up, making sure we had the right stuff that we wanted. Uh, because again, we wanted good stuff. We didn't just want cheap stuff. So, uh, thank you to the boys down there at six one four, uh, hockey, uh, for helping us create this stuff and, and get it to us. Uh, we've got a, a batch to start. Uh, we'll run out of that. And then depending on how things go, we'll just keep ordering and, and releasing new stuff, but we're really, really excited. So go check it out. Garagebeershop.com. Nice hat. Wish I could wear it. Says the guy who can't <laughs> nice wear hats. Hat, Bill. <laughs> We got a we got a five gallon one coming your way, Chad. Don't worry. Oh yeah, yes. a garage beers cowboy hat. Hell yeah. See oh, more along the lines of a Home Depot bucket, but oh, I guess the cowboy hat makes way more sense. Oh my! Dude, God. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It's a quick story about something like that Home Depot bucket, Joe. Uh, so back in my college years, uh, when I was of age, of course, uh, we, you know every college kid goes on a bar crawl at some point. Right. Well, most of them, I should say not all. Most college kids goes on a bar crawl at some point. And uh, one of our stops was in the BW3s down there in good old Ashland, Ohio and Ashland University. So <laughs> that was like one of the first stops. Right. And I, I, I don't know. I think it was like around Halloween, but I was already in a pretty good state. Uh, <laughs> and and. and so there was this big yellow hat that looked like a construction hat. And I'm like, oh, my God, this fits me. Someone left it and had, like, BW3 logos all over the place. Oh, no. Well, it turns out it was just a chip bowl that I thought it was a construction <laughs> hat. I wore it around. <laughs> <laughs> and I wore it around the rest of the night going, you have any idea? Like, I did, like, the, like the YMCA dance, <laughs> like, at a couple of bars because I thought I was a construction worker. <laughs> oh, I would pay <laughs> like, money to see that. I think I have it somewhere still, but like people were signing it. People were signing it like it was a fucking cast or something. Like, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, you yeah. wore a chip bowl on your head like an asshole for a night. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, new merch idea coming soon. Yeah. Garage beers chip bowl that can double as a hat for yeah. extremely large-headed people. The official uh, Chad hat. oh my god uh well uh listen like i said we're very excited for the merch garagebeershop.com uh get get over there check that out pick out a t-shirt pick out a hat uh uh, if we're out of sizes or whatever let us know we'll we'll keep posted on that and we'll get more ordered and all that so uh very excited about that as you can tell this week uh due to a little bit of a scheduling change we are not doing our live stream so we're just back to doing the regular uh, uh podcast uh, but we'll be back on the live stream game as well in the near future. But now it's finally time for us to get into our Garage Beers of the Week segment, our favorite segment, because we get to talk about beers. So let's send it down. I see your beer sitting on your screen right here. It looks like it's in a nice bottle right yeah. there. You're smiling. you got a shit-eating grin on your face. I don't know I what's do. going on. As but always. Let's, see. let's send <laughs> as it always. over to Joey. Wait, oh. What's your Garage Beer of the Week this week? I'm so excited. Uh, one, because uh, you know we're on Zoom, so... The, the frame of my picture makes it look like I have a beer bottle right next to me, but I have just a massive beer bottle next to me. Oh, and this is, this is the Michael beer. I think this is called gates of Smordor. Oh, let's go. 
It is Westbrook Brewing Company, 11%. It's uh, s'mores and style imperial stout with marshmallows, graham crackers, cocoa nibs, and cinnamon. Damn. It that is, is a meat beer. Dark. Yes. I was pouring it out, and it looked like like completely like super fluid Hershey syrup going in here. Like it was not beer looking at all, but it tastes phenomenal. Oh, and we'll you see can't if, go wrong. Yeah, if, if I make it through this beer by the end of this podcast, it might be dangerous. You can't go wrong with the cocoa nips. <laughs> no, Nib. you can never with go wrong B. with the cocoa B. nibs. Oh, B with a B. Nib. 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 Sorry. Cocoa nips. Nope, that's not it. All right. Joe, I think you've two things that absolutely you've hit it on the head that that is a me beer and two uh you're going to be back up here in like just like a month yeah. less than a month so go ahead and bring me one of those okay thanks bye okay Dad, what do you got over there on the east side for your garage beer of the week well it's certainly no gates of smordor <laughs> which is awesome but uh i uh went to platform uh, i'm doing a platform brewing nice. company this this week uh and it's the open market Nordic white ale, fellas. Uh, and it's a very tasty beer. It's made, it's made with peach and apricot. Uh, Sounds great. Made with peach and apricots. Uh, and, and, and it's it's good. It's very smooth. The peach and apricot is very subtle, so it's not overly sweet. It's not overly sweet like fruity beer. Some fruity beers are kind of overwhelming with that fruity flavor. But this is very subtle, very balanced. And uh, I'd recommend it, guys. It's a, a tasty, warm-weather beer for sure. What was the name of the beer again? Called Open Market. Open Market. Sounds good. All right. Platform. Yeah. <laughs> we have Gates of Smordor, and we've got Platform, yeah. Open Market. Very nice. Uh, so I'm going to give these people another shout out. I, I feel like I've got a, a collection of two or three groups of people in my life that continue to give me beers, and I exclusively just use them for my garage beers of the week. What did you do to these people? I How? don't know, but the, I love them. Like with all of my heart. Yeah. <laughs> How do I get one of those? <laughs> you have one of them. You just don't live. You don't live here because the one that I'm going to shout out once again this week are the neighbors of your parent where I where I currently live. The neighbors of your parents, uh, Susan and AJ Edwards, uh, the wonderful, amazing people that they are. Have <sighs> they? They were on a trip recently up to like the Northeast, like. New Hampshire, and I don't know exactly where they went, so I don't want to call I think they were in New Hampshire. And anyways, uh, uh, I see Susan outside, and she comes running over, and she's like, I got beer for you. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. And so she comes over, and they went to a brewery up there in Vermont called Hill Farmstead Brewery. Oh, that's delicious. What? You heard of them? <laughs> that's delicious. I've been there. Yeah. You've been there? Uh-huh. Okay. So... Yeah. Uh, anyways, you'll, you'll check the pictures because here from uh, Hill Farmstead Brewery in Greensboro, Bend, Vermont, there are two beers that she brought me. And yes, I am drinking both of them. <laughs> Don't ask stupid questions. Why not? <laughs> the one beer. And remember, uh, their name, their last name, the Edwards, Susan and AJ Edwards. The first beer is called Susan, and it's an American IPA, and it's delicious. It's a great, smooth IPA. It's wow. called Susan. So first beer is called Susan. Second beer is called Edward. <laughs> oh, my God. So she gave me the Susan-Edward combo. Uh, this one's just an American pale ale, a little bit less of the IPA variety, a little more smooth, just American pale ale, but freaking delicious. So shout out to the Edwards family. Shout out to uh, 
Hill Farmstead Brewery for Susan and Edward, both really good beers. Listen, for the next month, I mean, for this month, this month only, uh, I, I think you're just not allowed to drink any other beer other than someone's first name. Last week you had oh. Lucy, <laughs> this week you had Susan <clears throat> and Edward. <laughs> you can do that. Lucy last you can week. definitely do that. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Yeah. I, I don't I, mind it. I, you know what? That's a challenge. Yeah, maybe, it's a challenge. Maybe the it's month of June. The month of June is first name beer month for Michael. So right. yeah. if you're listening, here, now I'm going to need help. This is a challenge. Sure. And I don't go about things by myself. I am a teamwork makes the dream work kind of person. <laughs> so I'm going to need help. If you're listening to this, I need to know the name of some beers that are made with people's first names so I can go out and find them and buy them and drink them on the podcast. So if you know any first name beers, send them my way. Yeah. At yeah. Garage Beers Mike on Twitter. Easy. I don't, I don't go about things doing these things by myself. AKA, I'm not going to put the work in to do this. No, so. no, 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 that's not what I meant. I'm a, I'm a collaborative I'm just, I'm a t- I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's, all right, you're kind of right. Anyways, those are our garage <laughs> beers of the week. Uh, so again, uh, to you guys here on the podcast, cheers. To you, the listener, cheers. Uh, and now let's get into a very exciting episode 67. We're going to start it. Uh, Chad and I had an awesome conversation uh, just a little while ago with an all-time great uh, U.S. Olympian. Uh, a guy that uh, if you're young, you may not remember him because if you know anything about Olympic swimming's uh, Olympic swimming for men, you may recognize the name Mark Spitz from years ago. And obviously everybody knows Michael Phelps, but there was a guy that happened in between uh, Mark Phipps and Michael Phelps, uh, Mark Spitz and Michael Phelps. I can't speak. Uh, and his name is Matt Biondi. And I feel like if you talk to anybody my age and older, they know who Matt Biondi is. Uh, and Matt Biondi is one of the greatest all-time swimmers. We had an awesome conversation with him. It's going to be a little bit of a series that we have. We're trying to get more and more Olympians on. We already have another one scheduled for next week uh, as we get ready for the Olympics to start at the end of July. So here's the beginning of our Olympics-themed interviews coming up with the all-time great Matt Biondi. All right, and now, uh, we listen, we are rapidly approaching the start of the rescheduled Summer Olympic Games over there in Tokyo. Uh, they were supposed to happen last year. COVID happened. They've rescheduled it to this year. Uh, we're really uh, looking forward to here on the Garage Beers podcast to having a couple former Olympians come on, tell their stories, talk about what they're doing, and, and just kind of share their Olympic experience as we get ready for the Olympics. Our first such guest was an eight-time Olympic gold medal uh, winner uh, and overall 11-time Olympic medalist a multiple-time world record setter, an NCAA champion, uh, an Olympic Hall of Famer, and really one of the most accomplished male swimmers in the United States history. Uh, We're really excited to be joined by Matt Biondi. Matt, welcome to the Garage Beers Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the introduction and uh, glad to be here. Yeah, so is it, you know, we're under two months uh, now before the Olympics. It starts at the end of July, basically. Uh, As a former Olympian, and you went through three of them, uh, uh, what's this time like for Olympians? Do you still get the juices flowing a little bit here? Uh, you, you know, know I looking forward to it. I did probably for about 10 years after I retired, but now I'm so far removed from the competition that I can just enjoy watching the show and gotten to know the personalities a little bit uh, better these last few years. So I know the individuals and that makes it, that makes it really fun. You know, uh, speaking of the three different Olympics that I went to, I was in a very different time in my life in each of the three. Um, 84, nobody knew who I was, including my own teammates on the four (laughs) by 100 free relay. 
Um, 88 was the Mark Spitz show and Seven Medals, and that was kind of the high water yeah. mark cover of Sports Illustrated. So you dealt with a lot of pressures and expectations during that time. And then 92, kind of being the old grandpa and really having kept a lot of people at bay. And so this time yeah. wanting to be a little bit more involved. So your, your rookie swimmers are just going in one for the experience so that maybe in four years they'll be a little more comfortable. I'll tell you, there's a lot of white faces at the Olympic trials, a lot of people who just choke, basically. I mean, if you think about it, it's been 15 years, 20 years of preparation. And in some cases, sure. it comes down to a race, you know, less than a minute. So, and then, you know, I remember my good friend Pablo Morales in 88, you know, world record holder, um, sure to be an Olympian and placed uh, third three times and never made the team. Yeah. So the biggest goal for our U.S. members right now is the trials uh, wave two will be uh, July, uh, sorry, June 13th. And the goal here yeah. is really not about the Olympics. It's just making the U.S. Olympic team. Now, uh, you know, obviously it was an, it's an unusual year. I mean, that's kind of piggybacking off the, the, the preparation there, Matt. But, uh, you know, they, they were shut down uh, for COVID. I mean, with the Olympics already being spaced four years apart, what does that do for an athlete's preparation? Well, you know, adversity. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to eliminate a few folks who just get caught up in the negative speak about how their routine is going to be disrupted. Um, okay. But then, you know, what I, you know, I always thought to myself is the disruption is pretty much the same for everybody. I mean, some have some work around, you know, maybe they have a private pool they can go to or stay active in a gym. Other countries uh, were more restrictive and they couldn't get in a gym and maybe had to leave the country. But in the end, you know, it's, it's about adversity and adaptation. And that's really what makes for the Olympic champions is they can, whatever you give them, they find a workaround. They find a way to, to prepare as best they can. Well, how you said in the 92 Barcelona games, you called yourself the grandpa of the team. What were you, 26, 27 at the time? I know. Old man. Swimming, well, <laughs> part of it is because I wore my sweats too high. And at the time, you know, the guys were wearing their, their shorts a little lower, and I was still kind of out of it. I think I wore bell-bottom jeans to my freshman year at Berkeley and to my economics class, and they, they were showing supply and demand and how. Nobody oh, buys sure. bell bottom <laughs> jeans anymore. So I went home so cheap. Threw them away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. Now I you know, scroll through your Instagram page, you know, that you, you showed a picture of, of your dorm at the Olympics. I can't remember what year it was, but it basically looked like a closet. Like what year was that that they squeeze all four of you in there? That was nineteen eighty four. Eighty four, okay. You're welcome <laughs> to LA. So you're, Beautiful so, accommodations. <laughs> yeah, and uh the cots were pretty much the same all the way through. Oh, yeah. So they didn't get better. No. I don't know. Have they gotten better? Do they get better now? Like do you, when you talk to the kids now, is it is it a better situation? Because it, it always very much when you talk about the accommodations for the athletes and they talk about the Olympic Village and all that, it's like, ooh, the Olympic Village. But then you talk about, oh, there's uh, six bunk beds in a room. Good luck. Is it yeah, still like that? No, the, the magic of the village is not your accommodations. Um, you're going to get a mattress off the floor. You're going to get a fan. You're going to get access to a bathroom and shower. And in some cases, there's still drywall on the walls because they're they're building them for residential housing in the future. At least that's the way it was in Korea. Um, the magic of the village is who you meet 
down when you go to eat and when you go to the theater and the weight room and the media centers and that whole international mix, unfortunately, is going to be lost in Tokyo. You know, there's no room for that in the bubble. But, you know, that's um, of all my Olympic experiences, those personal um, interactions and, and some great stories about how you know, nations came together in a, in a real, real way. Um, so that'll be missed this time. Who are some of the coolest people you've met in your Olympic journey? Like, you know, that you, you never thought you'd meet a million or at least stories. Yeah, really. Me, me and other than Bruce Jenner. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> that that's on my Instagram page, right? If you'd see, we got a yeah. picture oh. in '84 at the trial. I was looking at it anyway. Um, you know, I think um, a guy I swam with and against, who was kind of um, my role model as far as to be at an elite athlete on the world stage, was Michael Gross. Um, big time performance in 84, the Albatross. And we went up against each other in the, in the world championships in Madrid in 86. And I just got to know him outside of the pool. And um, we actually traveled together. He came up to uh, Lake Almanor by Mount Lassen, where I've had a little uh, cabin on a lake. We did some water skiing. He took us through some uh, castles in Germany. And we visited oh, Stefan Caron in France for his retirement party. So, you know, having um, fierce competition in the pool, but then also having some incredible personal relationships with these competitors is, is you know, given the Olympics are really rich meaning for me. Yeah, I always think it's cool. You know, I, I wrote this down as something to, to bring up, but I always think it's, it's always fascinating to talk about. And I don't know if you were the type, it sounds like you were, to really kind of take it in, right? You have the, the opening ceremonies, like when you're watching that, you take it in. I can only imagine what it's like to be walking around. I always like watching the Parade of Nations. One of my favorite things to watch is when there's a nation that like shouldn't be in the summer games, but they're there and it's one guy. <laughs> or like when, when it's like Egypt and there's one lady at the Winter Olympics and you're like, how did this even happen? Uh, I'm sure you have some stories from people you met from just around the world that just had crazy stories on how they got there. Yeah, my um, my good friend in high school who was uh, Jewish was researching the Israeli uh, Winter Olympics and found out they didn't have a ski jumper. So he applied to be a ski jumper. I said, have you ever been on skis? He said, no, but I could go to the Olympics. So, you know, they really oh, cut back on the number of athletes. They've, they've, since Eddie the Eagle, if you remember him, um, and then there was like Eric the Eel, another swimmer, it was just sort of like, you know, the good old college try, but in the end, we wanted yeah. to keep the Olympics to the, the upper echelon. I love your buddy. I can just picture <laughs> can you just picture him being up on top of the ski jump for the first time, being like, oh, no. What the hell did I get myself into? <laughs> I am into? not doing this. <laughs> just imagine yeah. the ratings if his up close and personal said he'd never skied before. <laughs> All right, right. <laughs> There's a very high-pitched scream coming from the ski jump. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about you a little bit. You grew up in California. You went to Cal. You're a golden bear. Uh, you got the nickname. The, you talked about Eric the Eel, and 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 you got you were the California Condor uh, was your nickname. When you look back at all your accomplishments, right? And it isn't just the Olympics. You had accomplishments in the in the World Championships and NCAA even before that. Uh, you've had a ton of athletic accomplishments. Thirty years later, what's that kind of overarching theme that just stands out to you about what you were able to accomplish? Uh, my high school coach 
still calls me up and would remark that, you know, my world record time from 88 would still make the sprint relay 30 some years later, I'd still be in the NCAA finals. So when you think about the, the accomplishments that I made, the time standards and how I really lowered the, the, what was possible in freestyle swimming and, and maybe swam the stroke a little differently, more distance per stroke than high volume. I think I, ch- I changed the sport for the better in that regard. Um, I guess more importantly, I have always tried to conduct myself in a way that gave people hope, whether they turned out to be championship swimmers or not. I can tell you my greatest lesson in sports came on the tennis court when I was 12 against Jason Williams, Moraga Valley Pool Club Championship. I mean, there's probably just eight boys. Yes. (laughs) But I won the first set and he won the second set. And I started to lose badly in the third set. And I swore and I smacked the top of the net with my racket. And my mom came on the court and grabbed me by the ear, pulled me into the car, never said a word the whole time. But in the end, you know, win, lose or draw, she wanted me to be classy and and be something, someone that people could look up to. And over the years, I mean, I still get fan mail. I get three or four envelopes a a week and I try to respond to those, at least that send, you know, return postage. (laughs) Come on, guys. You can send an autograph. At least put a stamp on it for crying out loud. How am I supposed to know where to send this back to? Yeah. I'm not paying for this. Right. So, you know, I think when people think of my contributions, they admire my um, athleticism as well as my character. Great. That's awesome. Now, you know, when you mentioned that your high school coach still calls you up, uh, you know, when did when did you first realize that you, know, you wanted to continue in swimming? And also, when did the through all your years of training for swimming, when did the Olympics become a reality for you? Uh, the moment I made the Olympic team, I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. quite right. honestly. That's probably um, a good sign. <laughs> you know, I was always a big fish in a small pond. And I did a lot of variety of activities growing up, musical instruments. Um, I was in a choir and I was in a musical and I got cast in the only non-singing part. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) But I was out there. I was trying. We we skied. Um, I also had quite a water polo career. Um, Four-year All-America at Berkeley. We won three national championships. Um, But for the most part, I was pretty much unknown. Um, because I had so many diverse activities. I didn't swim year-round until I got to high school, and even then I was playing water polo and basketball my, my freshman and sophomore year. So I went to the Olympic trials in 84, just as I mentioned earlier, to get experience, thinking in 88 I'll have graduated from Berkeley and that'll be my year. And literally, um, I made the finals of the 100 free. Wow, you know, I couldn't believe it. I dropped two and a half seconds. And I was outside Robin Leamy in lane seven. I started to catch him on the way home and I looked across and for a moment, I thought I was winning the race in the hundred meter freestyle. And my brain instantly said, you don't belong to win this race. And my back started hurting. My lungs were burning, my legs aching. I fell back. I finished fourth, but, and then that's the moment I knew I was going to be an Olympian actually far sooner than I thought I could be. That's awesome. Now, can we talk for a second about water polo? Yeah, oh, we're talking a lot about swimming. I was, I was about to bring this up. But I was about to bring it up. I think water polo gets far too little attention paid to it. Oh, as I think maybe the craziest sport on the planet, other than like running with the bulls. Like here, 
we're just going to chuck you into the deep end with a ball and some goals. And you're going to try to score while a gang of other human beings <laughs> try to actively try to drown you. Like that's, that's basically what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what was it? D- did water polo help you in your swimming career? Was it vice versa? Was it both together? Did it make you a better swimmer, uh, you know, for your Olympic teams? Oh, absolutely. And I, I encourage so many young kids to stay in water polo and swimming. It's a great duality. And unfortunately, um, so many parents and coaches just want their kids to do one thing as if they're not going to be any good if they, if they try to do other things. And that's certainly not been my experience. Um, in fact, I quit swimming because I missed my turn at junior nationals in San Jose. I threw down my goggles. I said, swimming sucks. I'm only going to play water polo. Fortunately, my swim coach was smart enough to let me cool off. And I came back the next year and did a little bit better. Um, you know, um, water polo is a mix of wrestling and soccer. So it is a great deal of physical maneuvering that goes on. That's actually a part of the game that people don't understand. The other thing that's really hard for spectators to appreciate is when you see players in the water, they're equivalent of standing on land, like a basketball player on a court, soccer on the field. It's not the fact that the water's deep. There's, we have all the stability that we need to right. move in every direction, including up and out of the water. So it, it is a very physical game and there's, you have to be in incredible shape. Um, but it's that physicality and everybody thinks it's just mayhem, but it's actually wrestling. It's just as controlled as you would see on the mat with legal yeah. and illegal moves. Sure. sure. Yeah, anybody wow. that thinks yeah. it's easy, go jump in where you can't touch and try to raise your body out of the water enough to throw a ball with any type of velocity. Good luck. Listen, I have, I have, listen, I have a funny I have story respect in the world. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So about raising up out of the water, um, I mentioned that our Cal teams were um, quite successful. And so after one of our national championships, they took media cutouts in that they had from the guide and they put them all in this collage. And I played on the post. And so my thing would throw me in and I would get up as high as I could. And I could get out above my suit so you could see my skin below my swimsuit. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> what? Yeah. So it was sort of a, um, you know, a pun, a play on the water polo team. So whoever did this artist creation of me sort of did it as if I didn't have a swimsuit on. <laughs> <laughs> and so whenever I'd walk by, people go, oh, is that you over there? I say, well, maybe part of me anyway. Sure is. Yeah, part of me. Part of me. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, listen, man, I have all the respect in the world for you water polo players. I mean, I'm a four-time intramural champ in college myself. Uh, water polo, Matt. That's inner tube water polo. That is inner tube well, water polo. No, no, no. no. I, pl- I played the goalie because you can hang on the wall a little bit in goalie. <laughs> but uh, well, I couldn't tread for that long. But uh, anyway, uh, all the respect in the world for water polo because it's so tough. Uh Next question, when you know, when you think of all the names uh, of athletes that have made a name for themselves in the Olympics, Matt, you know, swimmers or not, what, what's it, what does it mean to you to know that your name is going to be mentioned among all the greats for, I mean, for, I don't know, uh, eternity, for all, uh, Olympic, in Olympic history? Obviously, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact um, that my last name and excellence is known around the world. You know, it's kind of crazy to go places you've never been before and people recognize you and 
a lot of times they say, oh, how's your head? And I go, what? They said, didn't you, aren't you the one that hit your head on the nope. diving board? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, close. Totally. Same, yeah. same Olympics anyway. Yeah. I got the, yeah. the water theme. Um, and, you know, I heard somebody say that I was, I would be the Mount Rushmore of male swimming. You know, that's obviously quite an accomplishment. But, you know, things change and there'll be other greats and I'll fade away. You know, someday they'll pull me off the shelf and dust me off in a cloud and, and I'll, you know, wheel me up there and I'll give a few more speeches. But, you know, that's the way it should be. And um, I played a part. I, uh, you know, stamped my point in history and now I just sit back and watch. You know, it's funny you talked about how you kind of maybe changed freestyle swimming a little bit. Uh, your technique was maybe a little bit different. I went back to watch. Uh, because uh, I remember watching specifically the 92 games. I think everybody remembers watching the 92 games because there were so many things that happened in the 92 games. But I, I was like, I'm going to go back and watch them. When Chad said you were coming on, I said, I'm going to go back and watch some of the highlights. And the thing that stood out to me, and I don't know if this was part of the technique, the difference in, in maybe how you change things. I'm watching all these other guys in these other lanes just kicking, just kicking and flailing their arms and that's not what they were doing they were olympic swimmers they were very good at what they did but that's what it looked like because they're in whatever lane four uh is matt biondi who literally is moving in slow motion like literally it looked like your arms are going slower than everybody else's you're you're like just smooth sailing and you're just like ahead of everybody through the race was that a little bit of of the technique change or was that was that a product of you being a six foot seven individual uh, you know, talk about how you felt like you kind of changed freestyle swimming a little bit in that regard. Well, I think it started the fact that I was such an incredible nerd in high school, skinny, yes. shy. Um, you know, I used to walk with my head down. And so, you know, when strength became an option for a lot of my peers through high school, I was just skinny as a rail. Um, my driver's license, 6'1", 132 pounds. Wow. So if you stood sideways, what? you couldn't see me, right? Cast I no wish. shadow. My my dad used to call me the human one iron at Christmas parties because <laughs> I had really big feet. <laughs> so I had to really concentrate on technique. And in that technique, I was working on distance per stroke. So reaching all the way forward, finishing all the way back. I think a good example is if you watch Hussein Bolt run, his mm -hmm. legs, his distance per stroke compared to the other sprinters, it does seem like an illusion, you know, right. because he's not turning over. But the distance that he's covering per stride is makes up for the lack of repetition. So I sort of stumbled on it just because that was the only option I had. And then as things matured and I, and I became stronger, I was able to obviously, you know, move to the head of the pack, holding that same longer stroke. All right, so I have a question. For, I, I'm sure everybody asked this question, but you've got, we've got to ask it. We talked. I brought up the 92 games a little bit there. Do you get a chance to, like, when you're an Olympian and you're over there, I know you're so hyper-focused on what you're doing, but your event doesn't last the whole time. I don't know how long you're even there, but do you get a chance to take in other events, to do other things? And obviously the main question is, were you able to ever witness the most dominant basketball team in history, the Dream Team? Did you ever see him in person? Actually, um, I was invited by Chuck Daly to bring my gold medal into the locker room after they won the semifinal game. Yes. All right. You inspired the dream team. Well, 
the only the only one that talked to me was Chris Mullen, and that's because I grew up in the Bay Area, and he was a Golden State Warrior. <laughs> yeah. Every you know what's interesting is is the the doors closed and like you know Magic and and Jordan and and uh, and all the greats they were just like a bunch of high school kids snapping towels, pushing each other, <laughs> teasing each other. It was really kind of neat. Oh, what what a what an incredible story though that you get invited by Chuck Daly to come in and talk to them before their gold medal game. Yeah, it was pretty neat. And I was pretty proud of it. And, you know, those guys are huge stars. So I was just kind of like a fly on the wall, but it was, it was an honor to be there. (laughs) Coach K was uh, quite complimentary and knowledgeable about swimming, which is always impressive. Oh, nice. Okay. He seems like he would be that way. Just random. Smart. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if I'd have been able to hold myself. If I were in your position, I think I'd have been in there like, all right, Jordan, here's what I need to see out of you in the gold medal game. And you, <laughs> right. you are slacking. Right. Robinson, I need you to pick it up. Let's go. Well, yeah. I mean, at that, at that time, you know, you got Larry Bird and Magic Johnson who have already won like multiple NBA titles. You're like, Larry O'Brien has nothing on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't know. It, it, was it intimidating at all? Or was it just kind of like, hey, you know, hey, these guys are awesome. It is what it is. No, I was brief and I stood tall okay. and, and talked to the ones that wanted to talk to me and the others went away. So it's cool. I think Danny Ferry was the lone college kid on there. Christian and Leitner. Okay. Christian Leitner. There you go. And yeah. he, he never really integrated with the group. So if anybody felt awkward, there it was him because they just didn't <laughs> talk to him. They're it's like, cool. we'll, really we'll see you when you're in the pros, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. That I guess so there's funny. a reason that I guess there's a reason that dot is called everybody hates Christian Leitner or something, <laughs> yeah. like, it something like that. <laughs> I don't know. He didn't seem like he had too many friends, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, you know, I've read an article, an interview with you. Uh, you talked a little bit about uh, kind of running yourself ragged when you went in, when you were an old man at 26, 27 and you retired from the sport uh, and you talked a little bit about running yourself ragged in retirement. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, we've talked about some things that people struggle to understand, whether it's in swimming or water polo. I think one of the other things that people struggle to understand is Olympic athletes, unlike, let's say, NBA players or NFL players or whatever, uh, Olympic athletes, even to this day, aren't just instant millionaires. It isn't, you know, you you watch these guys perform, these ladies perform, uh, and it's awesome. And they do it on the largest stage in the world like you did. Uh, but it isn't like you're an instant millionaire. You, you really had to kind of run that publicity circuit uh, as, as a part of your career to, to make money and do all that. So what's that experience like? And, and, and was, that, was that an easy thing for you to do? You're pretty, I mean, you're, you're, you're obviously an outgoing guy. You're well-spoken, all that. But was that, was that a difficult thing for you to do as, as somebody who probably wasn't, was just an athlete, uh, you know, not looking to do that? Well, like, like so many things, it's gone through different phases and I'm kind of, it's kind of neat now that things are coming back full circle. Uh, 88 was really a changing point because after um, doing so well in Seoul, I had marketability. Um, I was a, a ticket. Um, I, I could generate income, whether it be advertising or public speaking, uh, doing clinics. Um, you know, I did everything from King Neptune in a parade to the quick pick lottery in New York. <laughs> Um, and I quickly began to realize that there was no avenue for a swimmer to be able to earn revenue and stay active in swimming. Uh, Tom Jager and I were the first generation of swimmers who were making money as swimmers. Everybody else, you know, the Spitz and, and um, 
and um, Rowdy Gaines, they retired, they made money afterwards, John Neighbor likes, but they were done swimming. And we just faced a lot of restriction in trying to do that. The relationship was poor. Um, I was young, I'll take some responsibility for it, but dang it, these were adults that were running USA Swimming. Right. And okay. to them not to make sure that we were modernizing and keeping up with other Olympic sports, um, just to me to seem idiotic. Um, actually, I have proof from the former executive director that not only did USA Swimming not support me in those years from 88 to 92, but actively repressed my ability to appear and compete for my sponsors and to train for the Olympic trials. It's really quite, quite shocking and sad. What? Um, wow. So I left after 92. I was so upset and I became a high school, middle school math teacher for 17 years. Um, in Hawaii at Parker School, and then um, more recently out at Sierra Canyon uh, here in L.A. Um, starting uh, July, so two years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, create a partnership or an organization of top-level swimmers in the world to then um, get together and to be able to speak with one voice on these issues that are um, have improved, certainly in the last 30 years, but in many regards, uh, swimmers are still fighting for their right at the table to share um, equally in the funds that are generated. And I think the overall issue of transparency. I mean, you know, we look at the pro sports and they have ratios of athletes to administrators of no more than one to three. And the Olympics is one to 50. Oh. And there's just a huge, wow. huge stack at the top. And you know, mentioned not, you know, swimmers not being instant millionaires, they should be. I mean, we should be able to offer our gold medalists six hundred thousand dollars for winning and instantly, regardless right. of their country. And all <laughs> right. the way and right. all the way down to those that participate that are part of the show, including semifinals. So these are some of the things that we're working on. Um, there's social issues, there's issues about uh autonomy over their schedule. Um, and in fact, we're just uh, next week, we're launching our website and doing a, um, a global outreach to the press to announce that we have 120 members, 31 different countries. Wow. And so we, wow. you know, we, we want to be able to work uh, collectively, collaboratively, but really to be a voice for the swimmers now. Um, there's a professional league that started two years ago, the International Swimming League. So things are moving and, uh, you know, it's nice that swimmers have a chance to, to speak out without getting squashed by, you know, intimidation and, and some of the threats that have come from federations. Well, it's wow. interesting. It's interesting because it, it, I was going to ask you a goofy question before, cause you know, uh, but you bring up another point that it's kind of like a, a, the other side of the coin. The goofy question is, you know, back in, in the days where you were swimming in 84 and 88 and 92, it's obviously before things like social media and all that stuff. So so I was going to ask you, you know, was it easier to go out there and celebrate a little bit and have a little bit of fun and not worry that your face is going to wind up all over the world in seconds? Uh, but then obviously the back end of that question is now as a as somebody advocating for the athletes <laughs> and the sport, uh, Social media is probably a really great thing for you guys now because it allows athletes and and you guys to get your word out there and the and and it's not suppressed because it can come straight from you guys. I mean that's it's the social media is such a double edged sword in my opinion. I mean I'm old school guy that still reads a hardback yeah. and the newspaper and 
Yeah, my kids tease me all the time. Um, you know, and we, we can go on and on about the downsides of social media. But, you know, certainly um, in my position, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, 12 different time zones. And to be able to communicate uh, effectively through the different apps with the kids and their phones, um, you know, it, it, makes it, it makes it a possibility. Without it, you know, um, the chances that we would get together in person, you know, maybe once or twice a year at best. Yeah. Now is this now is this alliance uh, thing that you're uh, starting, Matt? Is that the Alliance for Sports that was on that was on your page? Is that what that is? Uh, that's the email, but the the organization is called the International Swimmers Alliance (ISA). Swimmers Alliance. Okay. Yeah, International Swimmers Alliance. So you said the website for that will be coming out. Would you say next week? Uh, we're going to launch on the eighth. Cross the fingers. Got it. Um, but we're we're working towards that, and the goal is to get it out before the trials start on the thirteenth since people want to be covering swimming here for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So the international swimmers Alliance, you can check that out. Hopefully on the eighth, you can check out the website uh, before we let you go, Matt. Uh, and it's really cool what you're doing for current swimmers. Uh, but we got to talk about another current swimmer uh, and, and just a cool story. What I think is a cool story. Uh, there's another Cal golden bear uh, swimmer with, uh, with the same last name. Uh, his name's Nate Biondi. Uh, and that's your that's your boy, right? That's your son. That's uh, that's over there at Berkeley swimming uh, swimming at your alma mater. How cool is it to see your son swimming where you did? Uh, it's just great. Um, he's a hard worker, big heart. You know, he he just had one goal to make that sprint relay in NCAA's. It took him four years. He got to anchor the national championship relay for the Bears. Um, nice. He almost got run down, but man, he hung on there and first is first. <laughs> So uh, real proud of him, but, you know, I, I, he didn't make the, the final wave cut for the trials, so he's retired, but man, he took advantage of his education. He's a hell of a lot better student than I ever was. Um, eight semesters of um, all academic Pac-12 team, so I'm obviously really nice. proud of him, and he's a great kid. He takes after his mom in a lot of ways. <laughs> that now his uh, graphics and the programs or posters or anything have a swimsuit on him. Is that, yeah. I, I hope so. Is that, yeah. Well, I don't know, man. Some of the media releases, there's, there's like not much of a swimsuit, but boy, those guys got the body to pull it off. So no problem there. So who you, so you're working closely with, with current swimmers getting ready for the Olympics now. So uh, again, I, you know, to the casual listener, that's going to get really excited uh, uh, for the Olympics, uh, much like myself, really, the casual Olympic follower that's going to watch every second of it because it's exciting. Who are we watching out for? Like, wh- who are some people? Do you have any names for any any swimmers that we should really be watching out for? Yeah, I mean, the, for the novice fan, um, you've got your your Michael Phelps uh, lookalike in Caleb Dressel. Um, he's been dominating the sprints and freestyle and butterfly and even in the IM. Um, he, he's potentially could be a multiple medal winner and, and one of the biggest names coming out of the games. Um, Katie Ledecky in the, in the women's side, along with, um, Simone Manuel have sort of led Kathleen Baker's also been strong. Lily King in, in the breaststroke. Um, I will say, you know, as, as amazing as our U S team is, um, the international field in the days of Mark Spitz um, is really, and, and for me to a degree as well, has really caught up. And 
Um, the U.S. trials used to be the most competitive meet in the planet ever because there's so many great swimmers and any, you know, you run the race 20 minutes later and you can come out with two different Olympians. Right. Um, it's kind of the same case at the Olympics now. Uh, there's so many talented athletes from countries we never heard of, you know, before when I swam, you know, in uh, Lithuania and, and Brazil, um, you know, Mexico, uh, Japan. So um, it's going to be exciting next couple months. Awesome. Well, we're really excited for it. Uh, you know, the, the, the swimming, the gym, all the, everything going on, but, uh, it was really fun to talk to you, Matt, Great, guys. Uh, Olympic yeah. legend, uh, an Olympic medalist an Olympic hall of famer, uh, Matt Biondi. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with everything with the, uh, with your organization. Uh, and it sounds like you're getting ready to do a lot of great work for a lot of athletes. So congrats on that. Cool. And, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. All right. When I have my Friday beer, I'll toast the both of you. Yes, sir. Oh, beautiful. Appreciate Thank that. You, you enjoy that. What kind of? Hold on. Before we let you out, what kind of beer is it going to be on? What are, what's your normal beer? What, what do you uh, like? Well, Lagunitas is always the name, the namesake. Sure, but sure. Uh, Racer Five, if I can find it, is is probably okay. my favorite. So yeah. I like the IPAs. Yeah. We're we're right. Well, I'm right. He Chad's different because he's got bad taste in beer, but I'm right there with. Oh him. come on! <laughs> so Matt, cheers when you crack yours open again. Thanks for thanks okay, for guys. joining us. And once again, a big thank you to Matt Biondi, Olympic legend, Olympic icon, one of the greatest male swimmers in the history of the U.S. and of the Olympics in general. Uh, pretty awesome to talk to a guy who. One of his crowning accomplishments in life. Chad, I don't know about you, man. This was the, that was the coolest story I think I've ever heard. That literally was the coolest story I've ever heard. One of his crowning accomplishments in life is he wins a gold medal at the 92 Olympics. And then Chuck Daly brings him in to give the pep talk to the dream team before their gold medal game. Unbelievable. That's the coolest right? thing like, I've ever heard. Like, like you or I would be like, Holy, holy shit, that's Michael Jordan, that's fucking Magic John, that's Larry Bird. Oh, my God! <laughs> but but uh, the fact that he just got to do that and Chuck Daly invites him in, yeah, dude. Uh, I, what what a moment. Well, I mean, that's that's almost as good as winning a gold medal is just to get to interact with those guys. I just He's a very mature, good dude because I can promise you that if I gave the gold medal inspirational speech to the greatest basketball team that's ever been assembled in history – the yeah. dream team, I would lead off every conversation with that. People would be oh, like, yeah. I'd be in the grocery store and they'd be like, okay, sir, that's going to be $102. And I'm going to be like, here's my credit card. And by the way, I gave the uh, prep speech for to the dream team for their gold medal game. So yeah. Yeah. Hope you think yeah. That's met, cool. met, yeah. I met Michael Jordan. What, what have you <laughs> what? done with your life? So what have you done with your life? That was so cool. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah. again, big shout out. Thanks to Matt Biondi and go check out, uh, you know, he talked about his, uh, his uh, uh, organization that he's starting to help swimmers uh, and, and getting the word out for what that is. So go check it. Their website should be open on, on or available on the 8th. Go check that out and everything that he's doing. But really cool to talk to Matt Biondi. So let's bring it out of Olympic mode for a little bit. And let's talk about a couple teams that we haven't talked about in a little bit. One, because their season ended a bit ago. And one, because we just didn't want to overdo it. And there hasn't been a ton going on since the draft. But there's a couple things to talk about. So let's start with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, first and foremost, uh, and 
and I want to hear what you guys have to say about this uh, recent news. I think it was just today, yesterday, today. I don't know my day. I have a, I have a two week old child. My day. I don't know what day it is. I don't even know where I am, but I do know that Marcus Spears went on TV on ESPN yeah. and got into a big argument. Yeah. Uh, because he said, right. He's, they were talking about the chiefs and he was like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, whatever. But right now his argument was on paper the Cleveland Browns have the best roster in the AFC, not the chiefs, uh-huh. not the Ravens, not the bills. Right. The Cleveland Browns have the best roster in the AFC. He, he caught some heat for saying it, but boys, like, are we feeling that? I mean, look, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to say maybe they're the best roster, but they, I would say they're the most complete roster in the AFC, like top to bottom. It's kind of like the team, like like if you're on Madden and you're like choosing teams by like offense heavy, defense heavy, balanced, aggressively balanced. I think we would be in the like aggressively balanced category where we'd be like ninety at everything, but nothing was like way up there kind of thing. Like we have dynamic, balanced. We have dynamic people pretty much in every position set. Uh, it's it's not like completely far off and. I don't know. I feel like we got some bias with that, but it, it's not wrong. Yeah, but that's that's Marcus Spears. What's what's the he doesn't have bias? No, no. Yeah. It, isn't it fun? Isn't it funny though how like how how context gets missed when 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 you're like trying to push a narrative? Like there was another woman on there. I don't know who she was. I don't know her name. I like I don't I don't you know I'm I'm yeah, working I during. And I feel it, bad for not knowing who that was either, but I I didn't know who it, that was either. Yeah, I'm working during ESPN NFL Live right. at this time, so I, I have no idea who she is. But she said, "Show me the loose leaf, like show me the facts." But all he said was, "On paper," <laughs> like he didn't he didn't say the yeah. Browns are actually going to win the Super Bowl. He didn't say the Browns are are going to beat the Chiefs. He just said, "On paper, the Browns have the most complete roster or the best roster in the in the AFC." And and when you look at it, I mean, judging by the body of work between the offense. Miles Garrett and the names they've added on defense. How can how can you make an argument, guys? I look around. You, you, you really can't. Like for real, go around, go around and look at because because the teams that you're going to compare the Browns to are going to be the Chiefs and the Bills and uh, some of the AFC North teams. I mean, we'll see what Pittsburgh does, but Baltimore for sure, right? So right, uh, you run down the list. Run down the the I, list of of like run down the list. We do these TikTok videos of like draft your player. Run down the list. Do they have the best quarterback in the AFC? No, Patrick Mahomes no. is the best quarterback in the AFC. Uh-huh. But you're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be damned before I let you sit there and tell me that Josh Allen is like head and shoulders above Baker Mayfield. Right. No, he's not. <laughs> right. Right. No, he isn't. Right. Like and Baker part of Mayfield's- that. And part of that is. And part of that is Stefanski's system. Stefanski's like Baker doesn't have to do a ton in Stefanski's in Stefanski's system, and that's not his fault at all. Well, but Marcus Spears' argument was. The Chiefs, like, because we're we're comparing the Chiefs, basically. The Chiefs have a better yeah. quarterback, for sure. Nobody's right. arguing. Baker Mayfield wouldn't argue that at this point. Right, right. The Chiefs have a better tight end. Travis right. Kelsey is better than any tight end on the Browns. Right. That's it. That's it. Right. People, people I don't even think that – I, I don't think you can even put the Chiefs in the same category as the Browns and the Ravens. I think it's between the Browns and Ravens. Again, on paper – on paper, I think the Ravens are probably equal to the Browns. I wouldn't say that Browns are necessarily ahead of the Ravens. That's why, you know, on paper. 
I just think, I, I, you know, I think people scream. If you're talking about the Chiefs, people scream. If you're talking about on paper, people scream from the mountaintops. Oh, Tyreek Hill. Um, listen, I know it's been uh, not the most ideal first year and a half, really, for Odell Beckham. But, like, Odell Beckham is a top echelon receiver in the National Football League. Like, yeah. when healthy yeah. and playing well, he's every bit as talented as Tyreek Hill. Like, <laughs> It, sure. That is what it is. Sure. But the other receivers, the Browns are just as good. Well, and also uh, put yeah. Tyree kill on any other team and he will be nowhere near as good as he is now because he benefits from Patrick Mahomes getting eight seconds in the pocket and breaking the pocket and running around like his head's cut off. The only difference between Tyreek Hill and Odell Beckham Jr. is Tyreek Hill might be a skosh faster. <laughs> no, no, he's so much faster. A skosh fast. I mean, he's faster. He is faster. But, but that's yeah, the only, that's, that's skill the set, only difference between skill Tyreek set wise. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing better. Odell yeah, has way better hands. But, but but then you go through like uh, running game. It's not close. Like it's not offensive good. line not close not anymore. Close. And I will now, fight at this point, defense nowhere is it close. Not anywhere on the field is it close. On paper, Aside from Tyron Matthew. On paper. Who else is yeah. on their defense? That's like scary. Right. right. Like really scary though. You know, like nobody. 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 They were like the Browns of last year. You had Miles Garrett and then nobody. Because they don't nope. need it because they yeah. just went on offense. Boys. Like, again, it all has to play out. It all has to play out. It, it It's... Again, I, the thing about the on-paper argument that doesn't work, because I, I agree with Marcus Pierce, on paper, I, don't, yeah, find me a team better than the Browns. The thing that doesn't work on paper is what it doesn't tell you is how much how much more valuable is Patrick Mahomes than the next quarterback down. Right. You know what I mean? Because he might not be on as good of a roster, but he's so good that he's going to elevate the people on his roster. And again, that's not a knock on Baker Mayfield, but I think Patrick Mahomes is generational in his abilities at this point. Like he's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So again, let's don't misconstrue what we're saying on this podcast. But yeah, on paper, look at the rosters. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. There aren't going to be many teams out there that that can compete with what the Browns are going to put out there. So right. Is Baker Mayfield the best quarterback in the AFC North? Then on not on paper, not even on paper. Is Baker yeah, Mayfield think, the best uh, quarterback in the AFC North? Is he not? Because I, I I think you could argue for him on paper. I think you could. Ben? No. Burrow? No. no. Yeah. Lamar? I mean, Burrow, Burrow, Burrow shows incredible potential, but yeah. – and I hate Lamar Jackson. I do. I he mean, look, strong. like he's he's a guy that needs to be on a specific, specific type of team. Pacific time. Pacific type of team. No, a specific <laughs> type of team. I don't think like – like, look, he is an incredible running quarterback, and they have a completely different style of offense that's really hard to compare, like, a traditional quarterback to. But quarterback skill-wise, no. I, I don't know, man. I think I think the, the other thing that you can't account for in this conversation is Baker Mayfield going into his second full year under Kevin Stefanski. Baker Mayfield, in the last week, eight weeks of last season, was one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League. Baker Mayfield, right. in the last eight weeks of last season's numbers were better than Patrick Mahomes. His right. last week, eight weeks of last season were elite football. Elite right. football. Right. And right. you have to remember, before those eight weeks, you also have to remember, they played. remember when they played like three weeks of, in a row of like 75-mile-an-hour wins? And like, <laughs> like right. But yeah. you couldn't yeah. throw the ball? 
Well, there were a lot of factors that that went into this, but in the last eight weeks of the season, Baker Mayfield was elite. Mm-hmm. So with a yeah. full off season that they're going to get this year. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he showed what he can do under Kevin Stefanski's system, uh, right. boys, like, uh, I think people well, write I'm, off Baker, and I'm like, I, I wouldn't write him off right now because I think he's got a huge year coming. We'll get into this. As, I mean, obviously, we'll get into this, but you know, the closer to the uh, closer to closer to the season, but I mean, it is it is truly a do or die year for Baker, uh, and and we'll see we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a second it's a second year. Under, under Coach Stefanski's system, he has his entire offense coming back. He has his entire offense coming back, and with the additions they made on defense, I like Baker does not have an excuse this year to not mature. I think he will. I think he will. I just think it's truly a do or die year for him. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, anyways, I don't want to go too off topic. I just think it was very cool to see, and it set off obviously here in Cleveland uh, the Twitter spark that went off when Marcus Spears was like, <laughs> "The Browns are the best roster on paper in the AFC." You, I don't. I don't know how you argue with him. Again, yeah. when he is, he's the one making the clarification. He's he's not. The, he's the one saying, "I'm not saying I think they're going to win the Super Bowl," like you said, Chad. He's not yeah. saying that. He's just saying on paper before this season, this is what I think. So. Uh, the other although thing, he, although although he did say he's he's their their his dark horse contender, which is fine. That's fine. Why wouldn't I mean? Why wouldn't yeah. you say the Browns are a dark horse contender? Yeah, that's not exactly going out on a limb at this point, which is awesome. No. Uh, yeah. The other cool thing that happened with the Browns this week, um, OTAs. Yeah, everybody decided to come to those. Which uh, okay. So I have not to, everybody, I, but a bunch of people. I can't be I can't be a a, a hypocrite here. I don't think it matters. Like, I really don't. I, well, here's the thing. I think if the team, like, makes a decision as a whole to come together and, like, show up to OTAs because they want to as a team and blah, 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 I think that can be a – I think that can be a, a driving, like, okay, this was a cool moment for the team to gel. But, like, when when players decide when, – when especially veteran players decide they're not coming to voluntary OTAs – I don't think that sinks the ship for, for a team. So I no. also don't necessarily, I know, think that I like that that means that they are just well on their way to a Super Bowl because people showed up to OTAs, but it certainly made news. Yeah. I mean, it helps. Did JC Treader go? I don't know if JC I don't think there. so. I don't, there I was don't some think article so. that came out last week about, you know, how having the NFLPA president on the Browns could be hurting them because he's so advocating for more voluntary OTAs and stuff. But then yeah, the, Browns come, so. the Browns have one of the best OTA attendances. So it's like, why are you trying to like put him in a bad light? Yeah, I don't think so. I think ever from everything I've read, it said uh, m- like mostly uh, veterans on the defensive side have showed up. That's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I agree. It's, it, it's you know, it, it's not necessary, but great. <laughs> but, but great. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, nobody, nobody's out here in June being like, oh, the Browns are, or whoever, you know, the Colts are doomed because they only had 50% participation in their OTAs. Like, you know. Yeah. It's cool yeah, if it's I mean, happening, but if it's not happening on the other side, like next year, let's say next year we win some some playoff games or something, whatever. We come back and like nobody shows their OTAs because they think, well, who cares? Like, is that going to be a story then? 
don't know. No, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't help, but I. I, mean, I also think it doesn't hurt either. Like, I mean, you got a guy like Andrew Billings showed up who out, opted out last year. I think he feels like he has a lot to prove. That's to nice. himself. And, you know, and 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 I don't know. Start, you know, start learning the system, start playing in the system, work with his coaches. Cause I mean, he was, I, I don't know if he was even around the coaches before he opted out last season. So, right. not. you know, so, 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 so some guys like that, you know, I, I know Porter Gustin was there. I mean, I know he's <laughs> fighting for a spot on this team, <laughs> you, you know, so I, I, I don't think it hurts, but I also don't think it helps either. That's why it's voluntary. <laughs> All right, real, real quick before we get off the NFL, uh, where's Julio Jones going to wind up? Oh Jesus! Hmm. Uh, what was it, what is it down to? Titans? It's not down to anything. It's just what are like the front runners? I mean, the Titans are up there. The Seahawks. I are think, the Colts uh, up there? Been... Oh, that's it. Oh shit! <laughs> the Ravens. Uh, for Hopefully sure not. Have been mentioned. Titans won't do it. Uh, dude. And so here's the thing: is the they're asking kind of... price too high? Like they're asking for like. Uh, but Julio Jones is not it's the youngest tough. dude in the world. Uh, he's not the youngest dude. And it's weird because, like, and I, you don't know if this is an Atlanta system thing, but it's a guy that get, can get you 120 to 170 yards a game, but isn't going to necessarily put it in the end zone. And I don't know if that's I mean, just a play call thing or if that's like a him thing, but that might not be worth like the top tier asking price for a receiver. Well, reports came out that uh, that the Falcons will accept a second round pick if, in exchange for not having to pay the rest of his salary. Uh, and guys, I mean, I, I totally forgot when you just mentioned it, Mike. I, can you just picture in your mind Russ having DK Metcalf, Julio Jones, and uh, okay, what's, what's the other one? Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett at his disposal. <laughs> I think that that. It, instantly Seattle is already a dangerous offense. I think that immediately yeah. makes them the best offense in football. He is still that good, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, uh, another report came out today that said uh, that he's got teams that he was willing to accept a trade to the Browns. were not one of them. Okay, cool. Let's put that shit to bed. Like that wasn't oh. going to happen anyways. So, oh, well, oh, well, you know, okay. You know, it's, I'm, I'm going to pull into baseball for just like a quick second. Cause that salary thing reminded me of the story. Albert pool holes. Pujols. I can't talk today. Pool, you, I've had two you. sips of this Pujols. 11% beer. Pujols. Totally Pujols. sober coming into this, and I can't talk right now. Albert Pujols just signed with the Dodgers, right? Yep. The Dodgers uh-huh. are paying him uh, a prorated portion of the minimum salary for a year. So he's yeah. he paid $570,000 from the Dodgers. It's a tough life. Guess right. how much the Angels are paying him. A lot. All the all the rest of his salary. All the rest, thirty million dollars. <laughs> they're paying him yeah. to play for the team across the city. <laughs> yeah, that's why. That's why. Oh my god. That's why. I think I said it last week. Why the it's so weird that the Angels are always like highlight, 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 but then they just suck. I think they have an awful front office. I think they get like a couple of big hitters of talent. Spend a lot of money on them, and then they're like, "Oh shit, we have like forty other people we got to." Well, they have no farm system. It's no. the worst farm system on the planet. It's crazy. Anyways, let's not go there. Sorry, sorry. Uh, so, anyways, fun NFL talk. Uh, another thing that happened here in Cleveland, we're going to switch over to another team that we haven't really talked about a whole lot in recent weeks. But let's switch over to the Cavaliers. They finish a, uh, I think it's fair to call it a very disappointing season. Um, yeah, 
Uh, I think uh, coming into this season with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, uh, and Garland showed flashes, and we had Tim Alcorn on here before the season talking about how he really felt Garland was going to make the leap, and I think he did. I think Uh Darius Garland made the leap. I think he had a phenomenal season. Uh, Really, really good. With a top top draft pick and Isaac Okoro, who I think showed flashes of brilliance. And I think I think you should be really excited about Isaac Okoro in coming years because he was so raw. And by the end of the season, he was actually putting up good offensive games. Like, dude was scoring like 30 points in games and shit like that. We did not think that was coming. Uh, yeah. So Isaac Okoro showed steady improvement. They make a phenomenal trade to get Jared Allen in here. That guy's a cornerstone piece. Mm-hmm. But it takes – it took, what, a couple weeks? Uh, for Kobe Altman to really say anything. Yeah. Because with with all the good that happened with the Cavs, they didn't win games. They didn't, right. they didn't win games. And and frankly, after a halfway decent start to the year where you thought, oh, this is a team that could compete for that play-in scenario, because mm-hmm. about New Year's, we were all feeling like the Cavs could compete for that play-in scenario. They, yeah. I, I felt like they won every two weeks. Uh, on the back right. end of the season. Like they just, they just weren't good. Uh, so Kobe Altman finally speaks and he says a couple things. Uh, one thing that I, that I liked. So I'll start with the one thing that I liked. He acknowledged in that press conference that like, it, it's no longer just about building this team, but wins matter. And he yeah. said that he goes, I understand wins matter. And like, you don't have the, I don't, you don't have this luxury anymore. And I don't know that you ever did, but certainly not in today's sports environment. You don't have the luxury to be a GM and build a team. Right. You don't have that luxury. You have that luxury for a year or two. Sure. You haven't built a team in a year or two and, and you aren't competing. You aren't going to be the general manager anymore. Kobe Altman. I think Kobe Altman is going to be on very thin ice next year. I think very thin ice. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and, and, you know, like you said, Mike, it seemed like they would win every two weeks. And a lot of those losses, like I would see the scores could flash, you know, alert on my phone. And it just seemed like none of those losses were very uh, competitive. Oh, my it's, God. It's funny because, it was- like, uh, what's midpoint of the season? Was it December? Like, before, no, uh, like January, February. Before the turn of the year, though, I mean, anyway. you guys were talking. This is the most exciting basketball that yeah. we've ever had in Cleveland. No. And you wonder if just like no. the locker room got lost at some. Never no, you, yeah, you said that. No, he said it was more say... exciting than when LeBron was here. Oh, I think Chad said something like that, but I think, oh, I think well, you're missing. Anyways, no, the, missing the point. But the point here. is, the point is though, uh, you know, you wonder if just something was getting lost in the locker room in the second half of the season where they just didn't have whatever heart or fire they had. Maybe they gave it all a couple of times and came up short and maybe that just got to them and they'd edit them for the rest of the season. Well, here's okay. Let, let, let's get to something that I consider to be an elephant in the room. And this is going to be not an easy conversation, especially for some friends of the podcast, some people that we've had on. Uh, from from that's what B said. Brittany Mollis, some 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 of our friends of the podcast are are maybe not going to like this take, but I think it's I think it's fair. I think it's fair to have a conversation about the guy that they expect to be the cornerstone franchise player of this franchise, and that's Colin Sexton. Uh-huh. 
I think it's fair to have a conversation about the difference between a guy that's good at things on the court. For example, Colin Sexton is good at scoring the basketball. He's really good at scoring the basketball. He is in the higher levels of the NBA when it comes to scoring the basketball. Yeah. But does that make you a franchise player? What else does Colin Sexton do that would contribute to the winning nature of a, of a basketball team? Cause I don't, I personally, this is a personal opinion. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, not sure. And, and frankly, it seems like more conflict surrounds that guy than anything. Right. Right. Well, I mean, if you remember, we have, we had Justin Rowan on from the official cast podcast and he, he even said himself, you know, Collins, he would, he would build around Garland. He would build around Darius. Uh, and, and he seemed like he, he said, he's, it seemed like, you know, Colin Sexton is a great player, but he was a great piece to a great team. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't say that Colin was a guy that you build around. He, he thought Garland was more of the cornerstone piece. So people are going to hate this, but I'm going to make a comparison because it, it's a former Cavalier that reminds me a lot right now of Colin Sexton. I don't say it. What Recent? Yeah. Kyrie? No, God, no. No. Larry Hughes? No, it was Larry Hughes. <laughs> you know, um, it, was that, it was a guy that used to frustrate the hell out of me, even though I, I like, he seemed like a good person, whatever, but he frustrated the hell out of me when he was on the court because – when he was on the court and the ball touched his hands, the only thing that was going to happen was a shot. And that's what Sasha Pavlovich. Shit. That's what Colin Sexton (laughs) feels like a lot. When Colin Sexton has the ball in his hands, it feels like a shot. Uh, So this player just won the sixth man of the year award in the NBA. Jordan Clarkson. Ah, Hmm. frustrated the shit out of me when he was on the Cavs because he would come in off the bench and it was just the Clarkson show. It was just boom, shoot, 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 shoot. Yeah. Off balance from the corner. Can't even see the basket over his head. Like you'd be like, what are you doing? Just pass the ball once. Pass it. Now, again, Jordan Clarkson, not maybe not the right time to make this comparison in a negative light because, again, he had a phenomenal year with Utah this year. But he's their sixth man. He's not their mm-hmm. franchise player. Right. So he's the guy that comes off the bench to spark some scoring. I feel a little bit like that's what Colin Sexton is. Do you think that it was a different situation with Clarkson though? Because remember that was, that was also the year. Well, was it here for two more yes. years after LeBron left? He was here for two more years. I, I think he felt like he was one of the leaders on this team. And, and like, do you think there was anybody, maybe, maybe pressure there that he felt that he had to kind of lead the way in scoring kind of hog the ball. Like, like it was at a different time or. I don't know what the feeling is. Uh, I don't huh? know what the feeling was for Clarkson other other than I think Clarkson was just that guy that just he's that's what he does. And that's what he's doing in Utah. He's just better at it. Right. Uh, and, 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 and the system. In well, fairness, when he was yeah. at the Cavs too, there was potential that he could have been more than just coming off the bench. Cause there wasn't much in front of him. Right. Utah is he's a bench player. Like different. It's same role, but it's kind of different circumstances. But in fairness to him, the coaches coach for him. Yeah. I don't know that they were doing that with the Cavs. I don't know that they were really coaching for him. Nothing was good. Well, because if you remember, if you remember though, like the, the year LeBron left, that team was still considered to be like, hey, maybe this team could compete for a six, seven, eight seed. But then J.R. Smith took his ball and went home. Kevin Love was injured like he always is. 
and, and then, you know, Jordan Clarkson, I don't know, maybe he felt like he had to take like a leadership role on this team. No. Well, yeah. And, and again, I didn't mean to make this a 20 minute conversation on Jordan Clarkson yeah. because he's not here anymore. It's, it's about <laughs> Colin Sexton. And it's about, I said this to you before the show, Chad, I have said it a million times. If I'm out there to win championships and you give me the list of players in the NBA to build my teams around, and maybe this is maybe, one of them. Maybe this is the yeah, maybe this is the year <laughs> that I'm proven wrong. But like even a guy like Giannis in Milwaukee, I'm not picking him. Cause while he's a freakish athlete and he does so many crazy things, I'm not sure that's a guy that has the skill set to carry my team to a championship. He's got the physicality. I don't know if he's got the skill set. It just is what it is. Colin Sexton. So if, if, if Giannis isn't a guy that I necessarily am like, I don't know. I really want to build my team around this guy. Is Colin Sexton. I know they're two different types of players, Uh but man, it it just seems Uh like every year we get the same shit. Every year, it's a report out of the Cavs locker room that players are frustrated with Colin Sexton hogging the ball because he does. And I don't want to... Yeah. Again, he's been so much fun to watch it so many times, right? He is. He literally is a top-level scorer in the NBA. Yeah. But rumors are out there now that his name could be up there on the trading block. I don't I don't <sighs> disagree with it. I don't disagree. If, if it is, I okay. Yeah, I mean, but but is it a guy that you think like why like okay like why don't you disagree with it like what like what would you expect in return for Colin Sexton uh, to be able to improve this team enough to where you can get you can you can get more wins? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Like, see, like, I don't. Know. That's an interesting question because I don't know what the market would be for a Colin Sexton, an undersized two guard. He's certainly not a point guard. A team isn't going to bring him in to be a point guard. He just doesn't pass the ball. I, I know he averaged four assists a game this year or something, and everybody was celebrating that like it was some huge accomplishment. Uh, okay. you are, he, When the ball is in your hands as much as it is and you average four assists a game, I don't know that that's a huge accomplishment. Uh, yeah. uh, but because it was more than he had done in the past, everybody's like, see, he averaged 4.7 assists per game. He he manhandles the ball. He better he better have some assists. Uh, right. I don't know what the market's going to be for an undersized shooting guard that has uh, a reputation of a not winning and b uh, controlling the ball more than anybody else. With that being said, do I like the core of Darius Garland and Isaac Okoro? I'll throw him in at the small forward and Jared Allen. Those three guys, do I think that's a more coachable situation for success? Yeah. Sure. Like, like look at the times Jared Allen just got lost out on the court this year. Mm-hmm. Because the ball's being dominated from so many other places, this guy is going to be like one of your cornerstone pieces, and he's just getting lost out there. Right. Uh, again, right. It's, a, it's a fine line for me to walk because I – I don't want to just be like Colin Sexton could never be good, but man, I think he's got a lot of ways to change his game for him to be an actual franchise player. So when people, when people say that he's on the trading block, I can't sit here and get mad about it. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, because when you do have a guy like that, and I mean, unless that guy, a guy like that dominating the ball is an all out superstar, which Colin isn't yet. 
you know, the way you have to win in the NBA is, you know, is basically how the Cavs were playing at the beginning of the season is sharing the ball, ball movement, getting scoring from all your different, from all different areas. And, and they just kind of got away from that. And that's exactly why, well, not, not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons why, you know, they faltered a little, faltered as the season went on. Well, it'll be interesting to see JB Bickerstaff. Again, I think he's going to be on thin ice. I think Kobe Altman's going to be on thin ice. Dan Gilbert has a lot of flaws as an owner, yeah. but one of his one of his things is he does not like to lose. And it's been a lot right. of years of lo- ever since LeBron left. It's just been years of losing, losing, losing. They got to get it figured out. So, uh, Cavaliers this off season, uh, circle the calendar June twenty second. That is when we will find out where the Cavaliers are drafting. Right now, they have the fifth best odds at the number one overall pick. Uh, so we'll see what happens there, and then the draft will happen about a month later. But it's a big off season for the Cavaliers. They need yeah. to decide. I think ultimately, Chad, it's time to make a decision on the direction of the franchise. Sure. Yeah. Can Darius Garland and Colin Sexton coexist in the backcourt because they haven't so far? Not not for right. a stretch of time. They they have at times, but not for long enough. Uh, what else are you going to do to improve this team? So yeah, we'll see from there. the The playoffs are still going on. Shooting. There's, there's shooting. Yes, shooting a lot. Well, look, you've had what like four years of rebuild now. Uh, is that four years? No. Uh, 2017 is when Brown left, right? John 17? Oh, more than that. No, 18, he left. 18, left. Three years. Okay. Let's call it three years, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, three years of rebuild. Like, you've had enough time to feel out the market for what you want to build around. Like, I agree. You can't – next year is, like, clearly a rebuild year again. Like, we're not going to come out, you know, storming the league, but you got to kind of make a decision on some of these guys that you've been trying to develop for the past couple of years and – you know, threes is a long time in any league. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, that's a long – it is. And and Kobe Altman came in as one of the big young gun GMs, and I hope he still is because uh, is he has he been an expert drafter? Maybe. He's he's won a couple of trades for sure. He's yeah. won a couple of trades. The Jared Allen-Torian Prince trade is, <laughs> is a, an extreme win. But has he put the pieces around to make a winning team? Not yet. And and frankly, here's the thing: this season, there needed to, there was that level of improvement. They didn't improve this year. After yeah. a shortened season last year, where they won 19 games, they won what 22 games this year in a longer season. It's, that's not an improvement. You did not improve this year. That's a problem. So. We'll see what happens with the Cavaliers. We'll get off that. We'll get off. The NBA playoffs are going on right now. Still some some great things going on in the NBA playoffs. That Lakers Sun series is really fun. Uh, the Nets just destroyed the Celtics, so the Nets moved on to the second round. We didn't it's, see that coming. There have been some very fun series, Dallas and the Clippers. So keep an eye on the NBA playoffs. It's it, Here's the other thing. Before we get off the NBA, in my barber shop, uh, I love my barber uh, over in Rocky River. There was a guy in there. Why is it? And I, Chad, you're a little bit like this, but you don't brag about it per se. And frankly, you'll talk about it when we talk about it because you do pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Why is it so popular with so many people to brag about not watching the NBA? Like, I don't get it. I don't get why that's, I don't get why it's a popular thing to like brag about it. People, oh, I haven't watched basketball in three years. Okay, you weirdo. Like, why? <laughs> like, 
it's okay if you're not a huge basketball fan. Like maybe you've yeah. never been a big basketball fan. There's a lot of people. We talk a ton of hockey on this podcast. There's a lot of people out there that aren't huge hockey fans. That's right. fine. Right. I'm not talking to the people that aren't just like kind of aren't naturally aren't big basketball fans. I'm talking to the people that are like, I use, I watched basketball in 2016, but I haven't watched a minute since 2019. <laughs> okay. Idiot. Why, what, why are you bragging? about? Why is that a thing? Why do people do that? I don't, I don't know. I think it's a multitude of reasons. Like first, I think it's your age. I think, I think, I think the old, uh, I, I think older people, the older, the, the older generation of like people who don't like to watch the NBA are, are stuck in those ways and, 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 and won't adapt to the way the NBA is now. I think they miss the physicality of the NBA. I think they miss uh, uh, more of a, more of a, a, a move the ball team type sport, which was the way the NBA was. And not that there's anything wrong with that now, uh, but the NBA is more of a star driven kind of, kind of, show off type of league where you 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 know the the stars are going to dominate the ball and and they're going to they're they're, they're going to shoot they're going to they're, they're they're it's 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 centric around them you know i i think a lot of people the older generation think this generation of the nba is soft like we talked that we touched on a little bit next, last week and, and, and you know as far as god you know as far as this and now i'm just guessing and it's just and it's just my opinion but i i think maybe and now I know there's ego in every sport. I'm not going to deny that, but I do think that I do think that people maybe think there's a lot more prima donnas in the NBA than any other major sport. Oh, I I, I think so. Uh, I I don't know. I I I honestly don't know why it's a a bragging thing. I know I am a little bit like that too. Um, I don't know if it's a bragging thing. I think your first point nailed it. I think. It's a star-driven sport, and when you don't have a star on your team, you hate it. Like if you're not like yeah. a true fan, it's it sucks. It really does suck to watch when oh, you don't is. have that star on your team. Well, I mean, because honestly, though, yeah, I mean, to, to go off you there, Joey. Like, if you don't have a star, like, okay, like the last, like the like the years LeBron was here, when you knew it was going to be the Cavs and Warriors in the finals. If you were if you were a, a Sacramento fan, why what what's the point in even watching? There's, there's no point in even watching. What makes that different? Like if you're uh, okay, man. so what makes that different? It, it's the same in every sport, in every league. What makes that different? We've watched And again, I, I think people this, in Cleveland have been literally it. on the top of the pedestal for so many years. And to be on the top and have that rug just absolutely ripped out. That's fair. It's different because with, just, with like the Indians, for instance, there's years of good, years of bad, but it's not like years of World Series, perennial visitors yeah. to bottom of the league like that is I, very different i just always find that the people uh this is going to be a slight political conversation not conversation oh, god comment. damn it no and it's i not, wasn't i wasn't gonna go there but yeah, I, I, I i always i just feel like the people i feel like I, i'm not talking about you guys i'm not talking about yeah chad you've said forever you're not you're just not a big pro basketball guy there's a lot of people like that that's okay but again yeah. when we talk about it on this podcast you talk about it without pulling that like well, I don't even, I don't want to watch. I feel like those bragging people are all the same. They all look the same. They all look the exact yeah. same. They uh-huh. all look the exact same. And I think <laughs> yeah. part of the problem for them is the NBA is so facially recognized, right? The NFL, you could, you could, if you're not like a, if you're not like an avid NFL watcher, 
or even an NHL watcher, you could see a player at a restaurant and not have a clue that they're a player because right. helmets and all that shit that you're not seeing. The NBA is such a face-driven league. You see mm-hmm. their faces. You see their expressions. You're constantly bombarded with their faces. And going along with that facial recognition is when they when they decide they're going to talk about things that aren't basketball, mm-hmm. which they do really well, I think, in the NBA. This certain group of people that all look alike over here on the other side are like, it just turns, they're like, they're millionaires and they can't be talking like this. And I can't watch basketball. And it's all the same group of people. I don't know why. Anyways, I don't want to get into that. People are bragging about that shit too much. Anyways. Right. Real- you know what I always say? You know what I always say to that? Like when they talk, like when, when athletes talk politics and people have a problem with that, like you're talking about changing the system, who better to fight the people with money than people with money? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you do have a platform. You do have a voice. I, and I don't understand why that's a problem. Like but I said, I just I, like I said, I wasn't gonna go there. I think it's interesting <laughs> that so many people are are just so braggy about it. Anyways, let's get off of the NBA. Let's get off the Cavs. Uh, real quick, before we get into the last thing I want to talk about, um, the John Tavares concussion. Uh huh. I mean, is that the reason? Uh, like, because I feel like no. that's the reason the Maple Leafs lost to the Canadians. Nope. Nope. You don't think so? Nope. I think it is. I, nope. think, I, I think. I think when you lose a player of that caliber in such a sudden shocking way like that, your whole team gets turned upside down. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, it played a part, but it's definitely not the sole reason. The, the Maple Leafs still had plenty of firepower on that offense without Tavares on there. I mean, Austin Matthews didn't show up. Mitch Marner didn't show up. Hyman, uh, Nylander showed up just a little bit. But that 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 offense still had plenty of firepower on it to be able to beat the Montreal freaking Canadians. But uh, the other half of that, the other half of that was Carey Price just played out of his mind the last three games. Carey Price yeah. carried Montreal to 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 that comeback. And, and you know what's funny is he is there was there's um, there fourteen of the fifteen. I mean, I, not that the money makes a difference, but 14 of the 15 top paid players in the NHL are all out of the playoffs and Carey Price is the only one left in it. And he huh. was the one, he, he was one of the guys that's most doubted. Like Montreal fans, like three weeks ago, were like, let's trade Price. He's the worst goalie in the world. But now that, uh, <laughs> now that they got him through to the second round, this comeback, they're like, oh my God, Carey Price, let's keep him forever. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I don't. I, it played a part. To your point, Mike Tavares played a part. Tavares injury played a part, but uh, I, that's not the whole reason they lost. Yeah, Carey Price kept them so in that series <laughs> and came up clutch when they needed to. I, yeah, he gave up goals, whatever. But uh, <laughs> Montreal just played such a physical game and got so in the heads of the Maple Leafs. It's just they were just pests the entire series, and like you just couldn't like shake them off. You couldn't swap the fly. It was just they were always wow. around buzzing and. And it was also, what was it, game five? Game five where they were, uh, Toronto was a minute away from winning the series. Yeah. And yeah. Montreal ties it and At wins the end it of the quarter. overtime. Yeah. We and then they game. win it overtime the next game. And then they win it overtime again. Like it just, it, or, well, they didn't win it overtime the last That's game. The but. Also, the Maple Leafs, what's the statistic that they hadn't won? They haven't been out of the first round in like 18 years yep. or 18 straight yeah. appearances or something like that. Like, Oh, we did. They have some curse going on in Toronto, and that sounds like uh, we know about curses here. <laughs> Sucks for you guys. <laughs> but listen, note note to all hockey, especially 
Eastern Conference, if we go back to that situation, hockey fans, if you find your team running into the Montreal Canadiens in the first round, good luck. Because it yeah. doesn't matter what they're ranked. It doesn't. I, I, listen, again, I, I've told everybody I'm a Penguins fan for a long, long time, and we experienced it not long ago, you, uh, last year. You run into the Canadiens in the first round, good luck. Because yeah. yeah. uh, for whatever reason, they just have this thing where they bring it, and they they could be the A seed, and they'll knock you out. Yep. And that's what they it's, did. It, and it's such a different and, – and it's playoffs in hockey are such – I mean, I know it is in, in every sport, but playoffs and hockey oh, are different. such a different animal. And it's and you know what? I mean, you you kind of thought if Toronto was going to win that series, it would have been in game six when they came back from a 2-0 lead to tie it and send it into overtime. You thought they were going to have momentum and win that game. But when that didn't, man, that entire game seven, you could just kind of tell it was in Toronto's head. There was no energy. Jeez. They played so uptight and conservative. And it, Montreal uh, was able to complete the comeback. All right, and, one, yeah. one word answer now that we've seen first rounds go down and even the beginning of the second round starting. One word answer, Chad, who wins the Stanley Cup? Colorado. Joey. Bruins. I think I agree on Colorado. So, mm. yeah. All right. Uh, lastly, just a, just a random topic. And you guys can chime in. If you're listening to this, chime in. Let us know what gets you. So I'm getting ready to, like, jump in the shower earlier. And I was going to jump in the shower like an hour and a half before I did. Be, but then I didn't because I get stuck on a, do you guys get stuck on like the video wormholes online? Like, oh yeah. Uh-huh. I'm on Facebook and there's like a random video. I don't know if you guys remember the show parking wars from like, I think it was like a <laughs> and E or something like that. No, storage wars. No parking storage? wars. Parking oh, wars. Yeah. Yeah. Was that? Parking was, wars. Was it? it was like a reality show where the camera crews just followed around <laughs> parking enforcement around like New York and shit. And all, all it was was just watching these people do their jobs and like give tickets and tow people and, and how angry people would get. The hell? Well, shit on me if on Facebook there wasn't a parking wars like video that came up and I clicked on it and it was an hour and a half. It was an hour and a half later where I was like, I have got to start moving. Because I could just sit here and watch parking wars forever. <laughs> and have you ever noticed that the new way that Facebook does things on their social media side of things? If you watch a certain video long enough, like it'll show you what your next video is going to be. But if you yeah. watch a certain video long enough, it'll change it to another video just like the one you just watched. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> parking wars after parking wars. I'm like... How are they going to get this boot on this Coca-Cola truck? It doesn't fit. I don't know what they're going to do. (laughs) Let's Let's watch this for a long time. I don't know. What are you guys? What are are the videos that get you guys? Oh, Joe just, Joe just peaced on us. Bye. He'll be back. (laughs) Chad, what, what are the like types of videos or what things get you just in the wormhole on, on, (laughs) online? Dude, lately, like I don't have the WWE network. Uh, anymore i only i only get the wwe network for the royal rumble in wrestlemania like that's like the time i watch wrestling right uh mainly now but lately um there's like full episodes of like old school like nwa like wcw uh uh like 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 episodes like like i don't know like the monday night raw of the nwa back then 
And I have been going down that wormhole hardcore. Like, <laughs> like Tony Schiavone, Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross are the commentators. Oh, uh, like, like there, there is, there was the road, like, and I watch things like the road warriors versus Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Oh, like, like just that old school wrestling. Uh, and I I've been down that wormhole ever since Barry Windham and the oh, yeah. four horsemen taking on the, the, the God, I don't know, Dusty Rhodes. Like, I've just been down that wormhole a lot lately, and I get to bed about 2, 3 a.m. because of <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Joe, what about you? What, what, are the, what are the things that just get you wormholing? I would say, oh, I got two, because I always do. The first one, uh, I, like, am a sucker for, like, 11.30 at night, just, like, eating some Scott unhealthy snack and watching cooking videos in bed. <laughs> Like watching what other way you're going to make a fucking potato, like show, show it to me. Cause I want to do it. And I tried it. I actually like anything that's cooking. I can like replicate pretty well. Anything that's baking. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, you ever seen like this, uh, there's this guy on TikTok that does this, the SpongeBob like pops, you know, they had like little like gumdrop eyes and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Then he pulled out of the package and SpongeBob was like super deformed. Like the deformed <laughs> thing is like what I end up baking. Anything cooking I yeah. can kind of do. But oh your uh parking wars things reminded me I was driving down to Nashville yesterday and I was listening to uh the Joe Rogan podcast and he had an interview on with uh Tom Segura, who's a comedian, and <laughs> Joe was talking oh, about we know. his time at Fear Factor. Oh, yeah. oh shit, we do, don't we? Al <laughs> Snow talked all about Tom oh, yeah. Segura. That was yeah. what a weird, weird thing. Tom seems like a nice guy, honestly. <laughs> but just talking about Fear Factor and like wild shows and stuff, and this probably doesn't relate to anything, but he was talking about how on set he always had weed lollipops and he would just get blitzed before filming the show. And he's like, if you go back and look at the episodes, I'm completely ripped for over half of them. And so now, after you watching your storage wars, I kind of want to go back and watch some Fear Factor. He also said the entire last season, there's a couple like actual near-death experiences that I kind of want to go see now. So oh, God. Uh, I think my new video train might be the Fear Factor uh, experience. Oh. You brought up TikTok, though. And, and that is, oh, like, it's a if you're hole. not on TikTok, you may not love it. And that's okay. But once you've been on it for a while and it learns you, because that's what TikTok does, it learns you. Jesus Christ. That, that is the biggest, con- biggest contributing factor to me not going to bed on time is yeah. TikTok. Oh, because yeah. it has learned me. So it just, it's just Jesus Christ like, video. Oh, no, but it's, it's quick. Videos. It's so quick. It's quick. Everything's attention grabbing. And you're like, oh, it's like, it's a 10 second video. How long is that going to take? Before it's you know it. later. Before you know it, you've got that asshole that pops up on your screen that's like, now, wait a minute. You've been scrolling for a long time, and you're like, oh, you go away. I'm still scrolling. Let's go. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, I just thought that was fun because it just it derailed uh, a whole portion of my day-to-day. So uh, you got any good uh, wormholes for us to follow? Let us know. Uh, otherwise, I think that's going to pretty much do it uh, for our show today. All, as always, we're going to finish with our three cheers of the week. We'll make it pretty quick, but we'll send it around the horn for three things that we just uh, are appreciative of this week. So, Chad, why don't we start with you? What's your first cheer of the week? Uh, Did you pause? Uh, 
<laughs> what are you doing? Uh, fire truck food trucks. Let's give a cheers out <laughs> to that. Let's go. Fire truck food trucks. Wow. Uh, wow. I'm I, I'm gonna be a part of that. Hey, you know what? You know what? You know what? Serious cheers. Let's give a cheers to all the men and women out there. Uh, since you know that who fight for our freedoms in this country, uh, all the military service men and women. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Boom. Cheers to you. You know what? I think we can make an executive decision unless you had Joe. Do you have one you're real excited about? I uh, kind of, but you know, it's okay. How can do it next week? Okay, go ahead, Joe. Well, you're going to have some like one that's going to make me feel bad for having a sports related one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a sports related cheer now. Don't hate me when there's some sentimental one coming after this. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't, yeah, I don't have that one this okay, week. Okay, good. I want to cheers this motherfucker out of Manchester, New Hampshire. New Hampshire? Connecticut. Motherfucker. Connecticut. Manchester. I don't know. I think my girlfriend's brother actually actually lives in the city. But the guy's name is Frank Frank (laughs) Mazzucato. He's a high schooler pitcher for the East Catholic team. Wow. The East Catholic baseballers. Uh, Frankie Mazzucato. Anyways, this guy has thrown four. Dude, you went on mute as soon as yeah, you're about you to say four straight no. Wait, really? As soon as you're about to say four straight four no what? hitters. Maybe I, four hmm. straight no hitters. Four straight no hitters. Uh and he's in high school. Now, I like I know like talent is not maybe as strong in this high school as obviously the minor leagues and stuff, but like like if there's ever like an elite person that could potentially come out of a high school system. Throwing four straight no hitters is absolutely insane, and I think that's pretty cool. You know what? I also think that's pretty cool. That's a that is a good cheer of the week. I was just going to make the executive decision, but you know what? Four straight no hitters is fine. I was going to make the executive decision. It was it was Memorial Day weekend, uh, and uh, I think all of us have uh, uh, men or women in, from our families that uh, have served that uh, could be memorialized on that. So. Uh, Joe, will put yours there. It's fine, but I'm gonna just gonna piggyback on Chad. I think it's it's a good week to do that, and I think our 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 collective cheer of the week as a show should just go out uh, to uh, everybody that we remember on Memorial Day, uh, including again our own family members uh, who who got memorialized yesterday uh, or two days ago or whatever it is. Uh, but last weekend on Memorial Day, it was. Uh, it's always good to look back. It's always good to give thanks for that. And, uh, uh, and yeah, and I think that's going to be my cheer of the week. So I know Joe's not happy with me right now, but, but it's okay. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, again, a couple thank yous to send out. First of all, our thank you goes out to the belly up sports podcast network. Uh, we love being a part of belly up sports. So thanks to them for having us on the network. Our thank you goes out to our special guest tonight. Uh, Olympic great Olympic hall of famer, uh, it just has a slew of medals just hanging around his house. One of the all-time greatest male swimmers ever, and now he's trying to do really good things for the sport of swimming. Matt Biondi, so good to have him on as well. And lastly, as always, our biggest special thanks goes out to you, the listener, the watcher, all that stuff. If you love us, if you love us, which we hope you do, do, do two favors for us. First of all, 
make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you rate the podcast and tell your friends about it. Tell them they should be listening as well. Uh, and two, get over to garagebeershop.com. Garagebeershop.com. We've got hats and T-shirts that are ready for you. We've, we, got, we got orders in while we were doing the show tonight. So we're going to be shipping stuff off tomorrow. Uh, but garagebeershop.com, get over there, get your orders in. The merchandise is awesome. The logo looks great. Everything looks great. Thank you to 614 Hockey for helping us put that together. Uh, so that's going to do it for Joey down there in Nashville, Tennessee. Go find him at Garage Beers. Joe, for Chad over on the east side of Cleveland, go find him at Garage Beers. Chad, I am Michael Keefe. Find me at Garage Beers. Mike, find the show at The Garage Beers on all social medias. That's going to do it. Episode 67. To everybody out there, thanks for listening and cheers, everybody.